The Press Pass on WKXL is presented by the Prescription Center, where the health of you and your family comes first. Check out either of their two locations, one at the Concord Hospital Campus, the other 125 North Main Street. The Prescription Center will also deliver your prescriptions to you free of charge. That's the Prescription Center, where the health of you and your family comes first. This is the Press Pass with Chris Ryan. This is where you hear unique conversations with the best athletes, coaches, and general managers in sports. I think you appreciate each and every one. Uh, each and every one is special in their own way. And I play with two guys that uh, they were on top of their game on a nightly basis, and people get spoiled. You know, they they saw Manny, they saw David, so. They, they start taking people for granted. Uh, opportunity for me. And I know I need to help my team now, so you know, the better I play, the better it'll be for us. I think it's uh, one of the most important things is focus and consistency. Celtics head down the stretch run of the regular season, just a handful of games remaining, and the Bruins bounce back from a big loss to the Leafs by smoking the Devils. I am Chris Ryan. This is the press pass coming just a little bit duncan robinson from newcastle new hampshire i catch up with him prior to the heat knocking off the celtics on wednesday nights jeremy swayman rookie netminder for the boston bruins as well coming up in just a little bit and i talk with bruce cassidy this is the press pass i am chris ryan so the boston celtics were playing for the number one spot and then things started to head in a different direction for him this week robert williams out with a knee injury, a torn meniscus, in fact. Surgery for Williams, expected to be out four to six weeks, which puts him out for the first round of the playoffs, potentially back for the second round of the playoffs. And the Celtics were playing for that top spot in the Eastern Conference. However, the Heat beat the Celtics on their home floor and extended a lead over the Celtics of two games for that top spot. With just a handful of games left now for Boston. So the Celtics are staring at, it would appear, the third seed or the fourth seed. If you look at the way things break down, down these final few games of the season. So that's where I'm putting the Celtics as either the third or fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Let's hear from Ime Udoka on how teams are handling and attacking Jason Tatum, who of course has emerged, in my view, as a top five player in the league. Yeah, it's a mix. As I said, uh, him continuing to make the right play, um, getting guys wide open looks as he has throughout the season, but also us putting him in spots where it's harder to double team, uh, simple actions that they can't take away as easy. So keeping him aggressive and, and, you know, part of it was he got to the basket and felt he got fouled at times and, you know, we want him to get downhill and play through some of that, but uh, not just use him as bait. Obviously he's a big time scorer for a reason. And you can only do so much at times when teams do double team and take him out of it. And he trusts his guys behind it. But at the same time, we can find some opportunities for him to get more shots than that for sure. Your Celtics guard, Derek White, on what the approach needs to be in these final few games. Um, yeah, I mean, we just want to take these five games as, as an opportunity to, to get better. Um, playing our best basketball going into the playoffs and just working on the little things that um, will make a big difference during the playoffs. So, um Take these five games seriously and um, be playing our best basketball going into the playoffs. An opportunity to catch up with Duncan Robinson. Of course, has had a really strong start to his NBA career. He's played three-plus seasons uh, in the league at this point, and he is a guy who averaged 13 points a game in 20 and 21. This year, he's down to 11 points per game. Not shooting it as well from three, still solid from three. 
Duncan Hales from Newcastle, New Hampshire, and grew up watching the Celtics championship team. It'll prior to that as well in 08. And I asked him, you know, which guys he liked the most on that team. And one guy he's thought kind of stood out and plays a kind of similar game to him. Like you said, Ray Allen, at least, you know, statistically or stylistically, I should say, um, there's a little bit more carry over there to how I play. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I've, I've been a Celtics fan growing up my whole life. Now, obviously, I'm not. Loyalty has obviously changed. Uh, but still, I uh, still have a lot of appreciation for, uh, you know, this this city, um, you know, being from the, the greater area. So it's always nice to come back. What has the actuality of being an NBA player been like as compared to what you you expected it to be? Like you are a kid, you're watching, and you're thinking, like, what could this be like? And you see in the games, what's the, the actuality of playing in this league versus what you may have expected as a kid? I mean, in many ways, it's a dream come true. Um, I think what you maybe don't anticipate or expect is just the grind of it and just how, you know, the day in, day in, or day in, day out, I should say, uh, you know, just struggle of, of trying to maintain and, and uh, you know, be the best version of yourself, the challenges that come with it. It's such a competitive league. Everyone's always, you know, gunning for each other's spots. And, and you know, it's part of that competitive spirit and will um, that I've really learned to kind of harvest and, and develop, uh, which I've enjoyed, uh, but it's definitely a challenge. Yeah, I remember when you first came in, you were a guy that was opening eyes. You know, like, oh, this guy is somebody that we didn't expect to have a lot of success, and he is across the league. Then you have that success and trying to maintain it on a game-in, game-out basis and a year-in, year-out basis. How challenging is, is that aspect of things in terms of retaining the consistency? Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, when the expectations shift, there's challenges that come with it. But, uh, you know, I, I welcome those. Any opportunity uh, just to go out and, and compete, I try to just boil it down to just focusing on competition, just going out and being the best version of myself. At what point did you start to think that this could happen? and that you could be an NBA player? Did it happen before you went to, to high school? Uh, after, what would you say, you started to say, oh, this is something that could work work out? Probably uh, early on, uh, you know, when I got to Michigan and started to experience a little success there, I thought it was maybe a possibility, but you know, I thought it was far from a, a certainty. And then, you know, as, as time went on, just developed a little bit more confidence and resolve. Uh, and then, you know, it really wasn't up until... You know, I, I really kind of got my first contract, and I was like, all right, well, this this really could happen, and it's starting to happen. So, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people where I, I just kind of knew it would all work out all along and said it was that, that kind of belief and confidence is something I had to develop over time. When did you find your, your niche as, you know, obviously a, a high-level three-point shooter, great defensive player, and did you establish early on when you were playing, you know, in training camp that, okay, this is how I can stay in the league? We talked about Matt Bonner earlier, and he really embraced his quote-unquote role as a role player. You're obviously a little bit above that, but um, what, would you, what would you say was the moment where you're like, okay, this is how I can make this work in this league, and then you made it work for yourself? I mean, I definitely, I'm, I'm still a role player for sure. Uh, you know, the NBA is unique nowadays in that it's really only two or three guys that really get the ball and, and have the opportunity to, you know, have that level of usage. So for me, um, it's just been about, you know, continuing to, to develop uh, and, and play to my strengths. You know, early on, I kind of recognized that shooting was something that could separate myself. Uh, you know, it's a league that's trended towards shooting threes, and if that was something I could excel at, then I would always have an opportunity. Matt was always viewed as being the guy from New Hampshire and the, the greatest player to come from New Hampshire. Do you think you have something for him at this point, or do you still have a little more road to go? No, nah, that's, that's Matt's crown to take and hold on to. Uh, you know, he paved the way, certainly for me, and 
you know, he's he's a legend, man. He's he's done it everywhere he's been, and uh, you know, playing public school basketball in New Hampshire, uh, he was the guy. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave that crown to him for sure. He's also got championships to his name, so it's it's hard to knock that. Yeah, no question. And he talked a lot about how difficult it was to make it from New Hampshire. You obviously went to junior high in New Hampshire, then went um, the prep school route after that. Uh, what do you think are the challenges in coming from a, a small state in that you took a, a challenging route and you went obviously to Williams and then to, to Michigan, and, and how did you overcome that? Yeah, I mean, you know, just in full transparency, New Hampshire is, is far from a basketball hotbed. Um, so, you know, just the talent discrepancy, you know, you're, you don't have the opportunity to go up against great talent, see where you stack up. And um, and as a result, you end up having to come down to Boston, go to New York, you know, wherever in, in the New England area to try to find that competition. So uh, in that regard, it's definitely a challenge. And then also, I think, you know, I think more and more stories like Matt, um, you know, is, is, is helpful to youth to see that it's, it's possible um, and, that, and that you're able to do so. So in that regard, like, you know, a lot of people count out a lot of New Hampshire kids, but I, w- I would just encourage those that, you know, to continue to work in and, and know that it is possible for sure. Paul, I think you still spend a lot of time on the Seacoast. You got some, some yeah. spots that you like to, to hit up? Yeah, for sure. You know, my a lot of my family is still in the Seacoast area, so I'm, I'm always coming back to, you know, Portsmouth area, um, Newcastle, Rye, all those, you know, especially in the summer. It's beautiful out there. So, uh, you know, I always try to get at least a couple weeks uh, on the Seacoast in the summer. Best beach and best uh, dining spot? I'm a Pirates Cove guy. Uh, I love Pirates Cove for a beach, and then uh, my favorite restaurant is Street. Um, it's a it's a great spot, great food. Uh, definitely one of my favorites for sure. Duncan, thanks a lot for your time. All right, yeah, for sure. All right, Duncan Robinson, right there. Let's get to the Boston Bruins now. Bruins suffered a really tough loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs on Tuesday night as they fell. 6-4 to Toronto, a game not quite that close as Maple Leafs jumped out to a 6-1 lead before Boston came back with three unanswered goals late. This was a big game because the Bruins were moving up in the standings and now find themselves back in the wild card spot, trailing Tampa by a game, and Tampa has a game in hand, and Toronto, uh, excuse me, a point, and now Toronto by two points. The Bruins and Maple Leafs have played the same amount of games so far this year. But Bruins want to stay out of the wild card. Wild card means you play either Carolina or Florida in the first round. And your hope is that somebody else knocks those teams off along the way because it's clear that those teams are better than everybody else. Uh, So, But the Bruins have a shot to play Toronto in the playoffs. And, of course, that's gone well for the Bruins for many years at this point in time. Um, So... This was also kind of an opportunity for Bruce Cassidy to gauge matchups, try to figure out who is going to pair against who uh, from a defensive standpoint, uh, what line is going to match up. And as he notes, though, the Bruins have done well in just about any circumstance with matchups this year and that they feel that any four of their lines can play with the other team's best line, basically. But I asked him about matchups and what you know that loss meant in that realm. I think part of last night trying to engage matchups moving forward, obviously at the oil line matched up with Matthews, and are you able to off of last night get any sort of feel for the effectiveness of those matchups? Well, Coyle starts games a lot for us, so that was a little bit of He'll do that a lot no matter who they put out because I think they've been good at getting the puck in the other team's end and starting the momentum in our favor, get the crowd into it, you know. 
Um, Bergie's line against Matthews, we have no issue with. Bergie can play against anybody. So we got to that a little bit later on. Once the score starts to get away from me now, as a coach, I'm just tilted towards, okay, how can I get the best offensive matchup for us? Because we've got to get back in the game, you know, without – because I feel all four of our lines can play when they're on against anybody, but that's how it will play out for me, and that's why we would have got away from uh, matchups. The second part of the, your your question is our road record this year is excellent, and we don't have last change. So you've built that in a little bit. So for me, there's a lot of nights it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You want the deep pair. Yes, you want the deep pair against a certain line, which usually can control on the road much easier than your forward group. So... There's a little bit of that mentality too with us that you know that at home I don't want to overmatch because you lose lines at times, and um, and and because of how we've performed on the road without getting the last say, that's helped us you know sort of stay just play our game and stay in our rhythm. As Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy the other day I also talked with Jeremy Swayman who's likely to be a net today against the Columbus Blue Jackets and Swayman was humbled the other night against the Maple Leafs giving up six goals before Linus Olmark came in in relief in the third period of play and prior to that Swayman was amongst the league leaders in goals allowed in save percentage and was having a quality season statistically and analytics showed that as well even as he was sent down to Providence uh, to make room for Tuka Rask's comeback attempt, which, of course, was ill-fated. Swayman is back, and he kind of established himself as the number one goaltender for the Boston Bruins. So I talked with Sway about how he handles a game like that, a game where things just did not go well at all, but in particular, given the amount of success he's had to date in the National Hockey League and, of course, the success he had with the main Black Bears. Joe, my Bruins netminder Jeremy Swayman. And Jeremy, how do you categorize this year for you overall and where you see your, your growth as a player? I think a lot of positives have come, uh, come out of it away, uh, away from the rink and in the rink. Uh, obviously, we like where we're going in the direction you know, for playoffs, so it's just been a really fun year so far, and I'm excited for what's to come. When you look at a game like the Toronto game, um, each player uses losses and defeats and positives in different ways. How do you go about using both things do you try to stay even in wins losses or do you there's a loss like that or when you feel like you could have done better does it motivate you more i always try to stay level-headed whether it's a big win or a tough loss because that's how you're going to bounce back and know that you're going to perform the way you want to perform the next day with preparation uh just not getting too high not getting too low taking the positives and moving forward it seems like you have a ton of fan support and you engage with the fans before the games rock paper scissors the whole thing how, how important is that to you and is do you, a lot of times a goaltender will not be that loose before a game is it important for you to maintain kind of a, a, a mental space where you're finding yourself having as much freeness as possible I, I love the fans it's the best thing ever to be able to interact with the people that support you most and just seeing the support that they give me and obviously other players on the team uh, it's unmatched any other organization I think and it's just so great to be a part of this community and you know being able to be there uh, you know, goalie for this city. Um, you know, it's just there's nothing that can compare to it. So I absolutely love interacting with them. And how does it, do you feel that obviously the fans enjoy it? But how do you feel it helps you know a player when they're engaged in the community, engaged with with fans? And is there a part of that that you you, you take from Maine where that type of inter- engagement helps you as a person? Absolutely. I think being a part of the community that you're playing for. Uh, only can help and obviously being a part of Maine helped a lot I mean there was such a tight community and family up there and 
it was you know seamless transition coming to Boston because it's the same kind of atmosphere, same kind of uh, passion for their team, and I was just so fortunate to have that connection from Maine right to Boston and, and still see Maine jerseys in the Boston stands. It's unbelievable. So uh, I couldn't be more happy with the situation. Again, I absolutely love being a part of this community. Your post-game sellies with Olmark have become pretty legendary right here. Is that something that you guys plan? Is it spontaneous? Does he take the lead? Do you take the lead? And how do you go about putting that together? It was uh, you know, one of those spontaneous things, and I think it's blossomed into something really special for us. And to see it have the outreach that it has all over the league and then younger goalies that we get videos sent to, it just means so much. And uh, obviously we want to lead as a good example, but seeing how much it's grown is just such a treat. Butchie was talking about uh, Tuca and that his biggest attribute was that he could rely on him each night and know that he was giving the team a chance to win. As a goaltender, like what does that what does that mean, and how do you kind of bridge the gap between making sure you're reliable, you make all the saves, but you also make the save that's needed from time to time to change and alter momentum? That's everything to me. I, I want to be the guy that the guys can trust, uh, no matter what situation, the magnitude of the game. And again, I, I look at every game as just uh, you know another opportunity to get two points at the end of the day, no bigger or smaller than any game I've played before. And being the heartbeat of the team is something I value and want to make sure that the guys know that no matter what atmosphere, uh, you know, getting magnitude of the game, I'm going to play as best as I can to give the team the best chance to win. At what point did this dream kind of start to flourish for you, and how would you kind of define the path to the NHL for you from Alaska to Maine to, to here? And was it, was it challenging? Did you always see this as being your your destination what what was the path like I always had a goal to be in the NHL and no matter what I wanted to win a Stanley Cup and that was that was a big goal for me growing growing up but what I learned in juniors and and minor hockey and obviously college was to take things day by day and not make uh, you know future things and external things a priority because what you're doing any given day is going to get you to where you want to be eventually so that helped me a lot simplify things and uh, always had that dream and I still do and I'm not going to stop until I achieve it Five things on puck handling. When I grew up back in the day, we, I watched Marty Berdour all the time, and I'm like, that's going to be the future. Like, you're going to see goaltenders who are able to puck handle like Berdour. And I've appreciated over time that it must have been extremely difficult because you don't see goalies do it to that level. And you're a very good puck handler. Um, what is that? What is the importance in your view of that side of the game? Obviously, with the trapezoid, things have changed. But how do you see yourself able to help the team on, on the puck handling side? I think being that third defenseman back there, you get to see the play when guys are coming back, and it's obviously a huge part of our game today. And uh, we work constantly on in practice and games and making sure that we're communicating well with our defense. And then you see the benefits of it when guys make simple plays and all of a sudden it's out of your end and it's better uh, when they're playing the offensive zone. So that's what I want to make sure I'm doing. And, and uh, yeah. And, and one more. Um, which save do you get you know, the most satisfaction from? Like the fans love to see the glove save. You get the, you get the cheers <laughs> for that post to post. Like is there a particular save that you that you're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any yeah. save that doesn't go in the net. <laughs> That's the best save. All right, great to meet yeah, you. Man. Thank you, dude. Thanks so much. All right, Jeremy Swayman right there. So what exactly is this Boston Bruins team? Are they a championship contender? Are they just a contender? A good team? A playoff team? I talked to Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy about that. Do you feel that this team came into the season as a Stanley Cup contender, or did that kind of maturate throughout the course of the year as pairings and lines. Well, I think we were. Uh, I felt we were because we had returning players that I knew, knew were capable of uh, carrying this team a long way. Um, 
we've been in the playoffs, what, five straight years, and a lot of those guys are returning. So once you're in, are you a favorite versus a contender? That, that to me, w- would have been the question mark, obviously, with so many new faces. So to answer your question, yes, I did feel we were a contender. Uh, were, we, were we a top-tier contender? Until we saw our, some of the new, new players, how they fit, that would have been a tough question to answer and see how our goaltending held up. Now I do. One of the main reasons that this Bruins team is a cup contender, in my view, and again, I do think they need to move up a little bit in the standings. First round is very often the most difficult round to get through, and you don't want to see uh, Hurricanes or the Panthers in that first round, but it's the depth that's developed at forward. And one of the major moves the Bruins made was taking David Pasternak off of that top line. Jake DeBrusque is now up there and moving Pasta to play with Taylor Hall. And that seemingly has worked. And that was really on display last Saturday against the Islanders. I talked to Taylor Hall about that Bruins line. When your line was first put together, it seemed like there was kind of an instant chemistry. But what ways do you think you've evolved in the time since then? Is there more depth to what you guys are doing now as compared to the beginning of May when there's just more of a line rush focus? Yeah, I think the rush the rush game is always going to come natural to us. Um, D zone, not so much. Uh, but when we're solid in our end and we get pucks back, then the game is ours, right? Um, you know, I, I didn't come into the season thinking I'd play with Pasta, but we always had a lot of chemistry in, in practice. And, uh, you know, I'm a pass-first guy. Um, he's a shot-first guy. And then, and then Hall has a lot of wheels. I mean, he scored 29 one year. Um, not too long ago, so uh, I think our game's evolving. The next step for us, and I think we're starting to get there, is you know when the game gets rough and it's just a cycle game, and you're going to have to play down low. You know, can we produce that way and and keep the pucks out of our end? And and I think we're trending that way. Also talked with Bruins captain Patrice Bergeron. What ways do you think the team has to continue to to grow to get to where? Well, to me, it's about details. You know, if you if you play the right way, um, you know, you usually get rewarded. Um, and you know, tonight, I think in in a game that uh, you have a, a few goals, you know, you know, lead. Um, I, I think we we kept playing the same way and kept coming back and you know back pressure and playing the right way in our zone. And I think that's the type of hockey that is successful down the road and down the stretch so um, to me is not getting away from because you're successful not getting away from how what gets you there and what gives you the result all right that is Bruins captain Patrice Bergeron Bruins in action tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets they have a home and home with Columbus off tomorrow in Columbus on Saturday still have a matchup looming against both the uh, the Lightning and the Maple Leafs which will go a long way towards determining playoff seeding unlike the NBA Bruins still have a month of games ahead of them while the NBA obviously has just a handful of contests remaining in baseball just around the corner as well Boston Red Sox will open up the baseball season on Thursday as they're in the Bronx take on the New York Yankees NFL draft around the corner as well and Red Sox returning to Fenway Park for opening day on the 15th of April Nathan Evaldi is going to get the ball for the Red Sox on opening day against Garrett Cole. They locked up at least once last year. They locked up at Yankee Stadium. Remember, 
That game is a raucous, uh, I believe, Saturday night at the Bronx. Um, and Alex Verdugo got into it with the fans, and that was quite a uh, game. Remember, be down there for for that. So Red Sox and Yankees to open up the season. Avaldi and Garrett Cole. The Celtics will conclude their season uh, next weekend in Memphis against the Grizzlies, and it's a tough road for the Celtics down the stretch of the season. They go to Milwaukee as well. They go to Chicago. So they play three high-caliber playoff teams down the stretch. We talked earlier about how the Celtics are likely not going to be in that one or two spot, More, much more likely three and four for the Boston Celtics. Then after the conclusion of the NBA season, they're doing the play-in tournament once again this year where the seventh seed will play the 10th seed, eighth seed play the ninth seed, and the winner of that tournament, uh, two winners of that tournament, end up going on to the NBA playoffs to face the one and two seeds in both the Eastern and Western conferences. I am Chris Ryan coming to the Press Pass next week. We will once again be looking at the Celtics and the Boston Bruins, checking in on the Yankees, Red Sox, as well as the Major League season begins in the Bronx. I am Chris Ryan.